0: Well, good morning, Crossroads. How are y'all doing this morning? I get the sense by listening to you worship that you are ready to celebrate today. Are you ready to celebrate? Come on, put your hands together. I wanna, I wanna share one thing I think is worthy of celebration before we get started this morning. Last week, if you were here, you got to hear Caleb Vance preach. Man, should we celebrate that or what? Let's give Caleb a round of applause. <clears throat> That young man, just like you saw him, if you if you got a chance to witness that, you saw him walking into his calling. There's a man that is ready to preach the word. There is something in the Vance jeans. I don't know what it is, but uh, that was pretty unique. That was pretty special, and I just thought it was really fun for us as a church to get to be able to be a part of him uh, kind of walking into that calling that God's placed on his life. And so uh, I hope that through this morning, through the sermon, you guys will be challenged to celebrate even more and respond to God's word. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Chris Standridge. Uh, I've been your community's pastor here for about 10 months now, and I had a chance to meet a lot of you guys, but some of you I've still not met, and even though I was born and raised in this area, I actually was born and raised in Ashland, um, I have spent the last 20 years of my life, really the last 24 years of my life out west. Uh, I spent 20 years out in Idaho, and uh, most recently in the heart of the Rocky Mountains in Durango, Colorado. My parents like to refer to those as the dark years or the prodigal years. Um, when I just moved away because we were uh, we were raising their grand kids so far away from home. I like to call it following the call of the Lord, but uh, man, um, we, we met some beautiful people, got to see some of God's most beautiful creation out in Colorado, and that church was a good church to us, and we loved the people there. They loved us. They took us in as family, but here's the reality. After about 10 years, man, the longer we were there, the less it felt like home. And I know that might be hard to understand, but um, about two years ago, we felt like my wife and I felt like the Lord was was drawing us back to Ohio. And I know a lot of people are shocked when they hear that. Um, But, uh, and trust me, when we started feeling drawn, we were shocked as well. Uh, Because I'm telling you guys right now, I had no desire to come back. Like we were loving life out West. We loved life in the mountains. We loved it, just the, the whole culture and the pace of life out there. But, you know, I left Ohio at 18, but Ohio never really left me, if you know what I mean. And uh, there was always this pull to come back a little bit, and we definitely sensed it over the last couple of years. And I never thought I was coming back. I left home when I was 18. I went off to Bible College in Missouri, and I literally never came back for a summer vacation or a summer break. I just, I, I, I moved, and that was it. There was no looking back. We'd come back for vacations and to see family and whatnot, but never moved back here. And I uh, didn't think that that would would be, you know, God's direction or God's path for us, but here we are, and I will say we are having an amazing time making new friends, being a part of the mission of Crossroads, being entrusted with ministry here. It has been a wonderful experience for us, and we feel honored to to be a part of this church. In fact, uh, my wife and I still are kind of pinching ourselves a little bit of how, because of how blessed we feel. You guys ever, you ever feel like you've been so blessed by the Lord or maybe even lucky that you just have to pinch yourself and make sure you're not dreaming? You ever had that experience? We're going to break protocol. We're going to go against a little bit of social distancing here this morning. I want you to turn to someone that you trust and know next to you, and I want you to pinch them on the arm and just say, you are blessed to be a part of Crossroads right now. You all are blessed to be a part of this church, and uh, I want you to stop and ponder this reality with me for a moment. Crossroads, think about this. The fact that Crossroads is a fulfillment of prophecy. Think about that. When Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he was not only talking about a church 2,000 years ago, he was not talking about churches all over the world and everybody but us, but he was talking about us. He was talking about us in 2020. This people, this community, this church, we are a fulfillment of prophecy. Every time we gather together as believers, we are living out a 2,000 year old prophecy. Can you believe that? Like that's a really special thing. And, and so for my wife and I, me in particular, I feel like I'm living out a dream. I feel like this is like a dream come true for us. And And if I'm being honest, standing up here, I hope that's A dream that each and every one of you have. To be a part of a church that is gospel-centered, that is gospel preaching, and is gospel sending. I hope it is your dream to be a part of a church that makes a kingdom impact and advances the name of Jesus all over the world in our generation. How cool would it be if in 20 or 30 or 40 years we look back on this season that we're participating in and we say, Wow, can you believe what God did through that church with us? Can you believe the way he used us to advance his mission, to advance his message? There's no way that he should have used us, but he did. And I would love to ask that question. I'd love to be able to reflect like that. And I'd love to be able to think to myself when I'm in my 60s or 70s, man, we made a kingdom impact. That would be a pretty cool way to reflect on your Christian life. And so I want to start with this question. I'm going to ask you several questions this morning just to get you thinking, to get you pondering, but I want to start with this question. How do we get to that place? How do we get to that place where we know crossroads, we know that each of us individually is making a difference and making an impact for the glory of God, that we're to the point where the gospel is, um, is, is going out And it is thriving and it is being sent to places that have never received it and has never um, known the name of Jesus. How do we get there? Like, who can we learn from? Like, what do we turn to and what did they do that we can replicate their model for us? Well, the church in Acts chapter 2 is an amazing testimony to us, and that's where we're going to be this morning. You can turn in your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 2. It's on page nine eleven. If you've got a, a Bible from the seat back in front of you, we're going to look at their testimony. We're going to look at their uh, kind of their pattern, um, and this is a group of people, understand, this is a group of people that witnessed the resurrection of Christ. They witnessed the resurrected Christ. They talked with him. They laughed with him. They cried with him. They ate with him. Some of them even touched the the, the nail pierces in his hands and in his feet. They, They had spent an extended amount of time with a resurrected Savior. They heard the message of salvation, and they were transformed by it. And as a result, they could not contain it. They couldn't hold it in. And because of their enthusiasm for the message of Jesus and the fact that he rose from the dead, the church quickly exploded with growth. And they went from, in a matter of weeks, if not years, they went from this upper room to literally the uttermost. They had no growth plan. They had no outreach strategy. What they had was a conviction that Jesus had the power over death and the grave, that Jesus was who he said he was, that Jesus was the Messiah, and that was all they needed to drive them into the world and to tell everyone that they knew about this man named Jesus and the difference that he made in their life. And as a result, their culture was impacted. Religious systems were overthrown. A pagan pantheon of gods was completely toppled. And they made a difference in their generation. And scholars believe that the church grew so large and so fast that it took over half the city of Jerusalem because they got it right. Because they did what Jesus called them to do. And when the church gets it right, Crossroads, we are not about meetings. We are a movement. We are a movement that has the power to crash the gates of hell. And we have to get this right. We don't have the luxury of letting off the gas. We don't have the luxury of rejecting the Great Commission or the luxury of even living off of the the crossroads successes in the rearview mirror. We have to get this right in 2020 and moving forward. Man, we are stewards of the church in our generation and eternities are at stake. Like lives and souls are at stake. So how in the world do we get it right like the first church in Acts? How do we accomplish the mission that Jesus gave us when he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? Well, we do this by repeating history. You've probably heard the the, the quote from Winston Churchill who said many years ago, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Well, I would, I would submit to you that the opposite is true for us today. If we don't learn from history, we will never be able to repeat it. And that movement of God that happened 2,000 years ago with a small band of brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe 120 people, how they took the, the name of Jesus and how they took the message of Jesus and how they turned the world upside down, that is something that we want to replicate. That is something that we want to see happen in our world and in our generation today. We want to see a move of God. And in Acts chapter 2, the things that the church was doing, they were as natural as breathing. They were magnificent obsessions more than they were casual commitments. No one told them to do the things that we're about to look at. They didn't need a to-do list. They didn't need a mission statement. They didn't need a vision statement. They didn't need to attend seminars and church growth uh, conferences and all these things. They just did what came naturally, and they just talked about the man that changed their life. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to find a devotion to four things that united these Christ followers together, and it allowed them to advance the message of Jesus in a way that uh, we had never seen before and probably haven't seen since. So let's start in Acts chapter 2. Like I said, on uh, page 911 of your, of your pew Bibles or your seatback Bibles, um, I want to start in Acts chapter 2 and look at their testimony to us. This is a really simple message this morning. I'm not going to blow you away with thoughts that you've never had or scripture that you've never read. You're going to read this, and many of you are going to be like, yeah, I've heard all that before. But sometimes the things that you've heard a 100 times need to have fresh light spread on them or shed on them. And so this morning, we're going to look at Acts 2.42 through 47. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture that's very familiar to most of us. It says this, In the first church, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. So here's four observations I want to make this morning. If you have your Crossroads app, you can open those up. If you have maybe a place in your Bible, you can take notes. Um, man, I would love for you to write down a few things this morning. That way you can take it home and reflect on it and study into it a little bit further. But I want to make four observations or four devotions that this early church was committed to that made them obsessions that turned them into a magnificent church. And the first observation is really simple. The, te- the believers were devoted first of all, to the apostles' teaching. So we're going we're to spend the most of our time in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and we're going to break down this passage section by section, or that verse section by section. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. These believers craved the word of God, and they devoured it. They devoured the word once they got a taste of it. And, and here's the reality. Is these people were not just looking for information. Sometimes we come to church And we want the preacher to kind of tickle our ears, to give us some thought or some nugget or some deep truth that we've never heard before. And we feel like if we walk out of here and we haven't heard something new, then we've been a little bit let down or we didn't get our money's worth. These people were not simply looking for information. They were looking for transformation. They were looking for God's word to come alive. And the teaching of scripture was not something that they had in themselves naturally. They had to be taught. They had to sit under the apostles. They had to sit under the teaching of God. And when they tasted it, when they experienced it, when they understood it, it changed them. And they craved it even more. And they developed an appetite for it, a hunger for it, where they couldn't get enough of it. Let me ask you a question. You guys ever, you ever experienced something for the first time and it changed you to the point where you couldn't get enough of it? Think about that for a moment. You ever experienced something? Maybe you tasted it. Maybe you went there. Maybe you, uh, it, maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's a memory. Maybe it's a, an object that something was, you know, something that was gifted to you or something like that. Where when you received it, you were like, wow, this is changing me and I will never be the same. You know, for me, the first time I went to Hawaii, it completely wrecked me. Uh, I was ruined. Like, I was ruined um, being a, a Midwesterner, if you will, growing up in Ohio, like going, going to Hawaii for the first time. I got a chance to take my, my wife on our 15-year anniversary. I got to surprise her with a trip to Hawaii. God had blessed us that year financially. And we, we went and spent about nine days there. And I'm telling you, the moment I walked off of that plane, I felt I belonged in Hawaii, and I did not want to come back to the mainland, I didn't want to come, you know, I just, like, if you get to know me, and spend any kind of time in conversation with me at some point, and some of my friends in here will tell you this, at some point, I will tell you about Hawaii, because I yearn for it, and I've tasted it, and now I just want more of it, and it's ruined me, because now all I think about is, how do I get back How do I I get that fix? You ever had that experience in your life? Man, for us to become the church that God wants us to become, we need to crave the word of God like we did that experience and to feed on a steady diet of God's word. You know, the world kind of says the opposite things to us. For us to be changed, for us to to, to become better, if you will, um, it says that you need to empty yourself of, like, negativity and, and negative influences and the bad karma. And, and if you're going to find peace and truth and, and fulfillment and purpose in life, then you need to get rid of all of those things. And the world says that for you to find your inner beauty, you need to look within yourself because you are beautiful and you are good. And all of your problems are simply external. Well, Christianity kind of poses a different perspective, doesn't it? kind of tells us a different way because Christianity tells us that I'm what's wrong with this world. I'm the one that made a mess of me. My heart has been blackened by sin. I'm the one that needs a change of heart. But how do we change our hearts? Well, the truth is, is that we can't. Only God changes a heart. And God's word is the change agent to every sinful pattern of man. Check out Hebrews chapter 4. I love this passage of scripture. You've probably heard this a hundred times as well. Hebrews 4, 12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The word of God is not passive. If you will consume it, if you will develop an appetite for it, it will change you. And sometimes it's hard to develop new appetites for healthy living. You know, you ever gone on a diet and found out you have to start eating rabbit food on a regular basis? Like it's not easy. It's not fun to do, but the more you do it, the more it becomes more natural and your body starts to crave it. It's the same thing with God's word. If it's going to have an active if it's going to have an active work in our lives, then we have to pursue it. We have to be obsessed with it. We have to consume it and give ourselves a steady diet of it. And that's exactly what happened with the people in Acts just a few verses before our text this morning. If you look back in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, right before you see these devotions that we're talking through in verse 42, you, see, you know that Peter just preached this amazing sermon. And he lit the people up. He told them about who Jesus was. He told them about why why he was crucified. And that sinful men put him on the cross. And that they need to repent and be baptized for their sins. And this is their response when they hear the message of Jesus. The word of God coming alive. Coming alive in their life and in their hearts. Verse 37 says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They were like... We can't sit on this information. We can't just ignore that we heard this. We can't just sweep it under the rug. We have to react. We have to respond. So what do we do? And that day, 3,000 souls give their lives to Jesus Christ because the word of God came alive. Let me ask you, when was the last time that you heard God's word and it cut you so deep that it changed your heart? When was the last time you... You uh, communed with God and his word, and by the time you closed it, you knew you would never be the same because his word had just come alive in your life. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen nearly enough for us, and I think the problem for most Christians is that we have God's word, we read God's word, but our hearts sometimes aren't transformed by God's word because we don't meditate on it, and we don't apply it. We're we're very comfortable to just pick it up and read it once again as another thing that we're supposed to do because we're supposed to be good Christians. We have to slow down and meditate on it and apply it to our lives in order for it to purify us. Let's turn back to uh, Psalm chapter 119. Um, The psalmist tells us this is how a a man's heart is changed. Verse 6, how can a young man keep his way pure? I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I love that as I think about fixing our gaze on his ways. You know, we gotta fix our our sight and we gotta fix our eyes and our minds on the ways of the Lord. And verse 16 says, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is an individual who was consumed with the word of God and did not want to let it off of his lips, our world, our hearts man, it's it's filled with deceit and death. It's filled with contempt and corruption and conceit. And in the time of fake news and rioting and, man, just hatred and politicizing of everything on both the right side and the left, man, everywhere we turn, our minds are filled with junk and evil. Let me ask you, when was the last time you got not only into God's word, but God's word got into you. When was the last time you slowed down to listen, to let it speak to you, and not just be quick to say, I read my two chapters, I'm done. But to actually let his word speak to you. I mean, how are we supposed to, if you think about this, for those of us who struggle being in the Word on a regular basis, how are we supposed to be able to withstand the devil? How are we supposed to be able to survive in a world that's hostile toward Christ and the ways of Christ and survive in spiritual battle if we don't have a way of getting God's Word into our life on a regular basis? We need it desperately. So much so that the Old Testament writer Moses He said this in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6, verses 4 through 9. This is a passage that's super powerful for each of us today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Keep them right here, locked away. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And what he's telling us there is that we need to saturate our lives with the word of God and the people in Acts were consumed with it. It's that important to them. When life cuts you, And life will cut you. What are you going to bleed? Are you going to bleed God's word? When the junk of life hits the fan, to who or where or what will you turn? You know, we get a steady diet of God's word. One of the things that really drew us to Crossroads a year ago was When I was kind of investigating this church online, I got a chance to sit down and and watch several of the sermons online, and I immediately knew that's a church I want to be a part of. I knew that Pastor Dave was preaching the whole counsel of God, that the word of God, the gospel was being proclaimed. And this congregation is getting a steady diet of that from all of our speakers on Sunday mornings. And I was excited to be a part of a church that makes that their passion teaching and preaching the the, the word of God and not just skipping over the difficult parts, but talking about the whole counsel of God. So we get a steady diet of that. But here's the reality. If you only base your spiritual nutrition off of what you receive on Sunday morning, you are going to go hungry throughout the week. When was the last time you left Sunday and you got a big Sunday afternoon meal and you thought to yourself, you know what? I'm good for the rest of the week. It doesn't happen. For us to get the, the physical nourishment that we need, we need to eat and feed on nourishing food on a regular basis, and it's the same way with God's Word. Sundays are great, but if that's the only time you're getting God's Word into you, it is not enough. The second observation this morning that I found from the believers is that they were devoted to community. If we read on in, in, in Acts chapter 2, that verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship. It's really simple. These people knew each other. They invested in each other. And there was a depth of their relationships that went deeper than, you know, talk of politics and what you feel about wearing masks and, you know, the latest, you know, all the latest opinions about the coronavirus. Their conversations went beyond casual talk about, man, it's opening week in the NFL and how many games are the Browns going to lose this year and, you know, We all talk about those things, right? Those of us who are Browns fans, we suffer through those things, and we like to talk about those shallow things, and there's nothing wrong with that. But these people in Acts chapter 2, man, their, their conversations were deeper than pleasantries. Man, they invaded each other's lives, and when one had a need, another stepped in to meet it, another sacrificed for them, and they became about we instead of me. They became about the community at large instead of, what am I going to get out of this? Look at Acts chapter 2. Let's look at verses 44 through 46, and we're going to see some of the things that happened because they were together. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing all the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness. And generous hearts. This was a group of people. They were the purest expression of what the church really is. They invested in each other, and it started with fellowship and with community. And they met daily, not just on Sundays, not just you know, once a week, but they met daily in their homes and, and, and they had fellowship and they had teaching and they, and they broke bread together, and their lives were enriched because of the community, and they were strengthened for the cause. And this is why community was so important 2,000 years ago, because they knew what they were facing. They knew the persecution that could come. They knew that some of them were going to lose their lives. They knew that they were going to be separated from mother and father and brother and sister because of their beliefs and their convictions about Jesus, and they needed daily to be in this community in order to survive. Otherwise, they might quit and walk away. They were together on a regular basis, you know, uh, turns out that I have a very deep, uh, theologian, uh, a deep philosophy individual in my life. And I didn't even know it this whole time. Uh, his name is Doug Taylor. And, um, he dropped a truth bomb on me this last week that just about blew my mind. He said this, he said, Chris, you can't do together alone. Like, Doug Taylor? I immediately said, Doug, can I take that? Can I use that? He said, absolutely. He didn't even ask me to give him credit, but that guy is a lot smarter than you think he is. <laughs> you can't do together alone. This church was together. And imagine, like, let's, let's personalize this. Imagine with me if, what, what difference a community could make in your life if you would just take a risk and get into one. I want to share a testimony on video with you here in a moment um this is my friend josh who he took a risk and he put his yes on the table when he got invited into a community group and let's just see how his community group changed his life watch this video
1: my name is josh atwell and i've attended church at crossroads for over 20 years And my wife and I both have, and our three children. And basically my, as far as involvement in communities was non-existent for the first 20 years at Crossroads. And um, community group is what basically, serving in community groups is what started to change all of that. I definitely had a hunger for connection and I wanted more. So my wife and I talked and we figured a good start to that would be to serve and to get all that moving, like to get having that hunger and growth and just to be eager for opportunity and to grow in my spiritual relationship with Christ, um, I didn't know how to get started. You know, I didn't know how to push the play button and get moving. And st- uh, starting to serve on the security team at Shelby, just getting involved, that definitely hit the play button for sure. Uh, I've, James 1:22 instantly comes to my mind. Uh, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Um, once I started doing and not just sitting and hearing, and I, I did get involved. Everything, it really, it just, like I said, fast forward. It started to flow after that. Um, the group, the guys in the group, um, it was just all about action then, and not just. Um, it, I felt like it put me from being. I went from being a consumer to a co-worker and God's mission. I I found the group helped me find my passion and my gifts that I could not have found myself for sure. Um, I learned real quick actually in the group; it didn't take long. Um, I, the group leader asked me to help him teach. If I'd be involved, help him teach the group, and I said yes. And boy, I mean, it uncovered and helped develop also just a gift I had I I didn't even know that was sharing the gospel and discipling other Christ followers so they may go do the same thing. And just teaching and then preaching the Word of God, I, I definitely discovered I had a passion for that through the group, for sure. And I, would say, I would say maturity, for sure. I've, it, it's amazing how when you start, when you go, when you put something into motion and don't just sit and, and listen and take part and consume, I would say, like I mentioned earlier, and you get involved and help with it, um, I feel like I had, like I mentioned, I felt like I had a personal relationship with the Lord and just that one thing right there, of just having other believers around you, it's just the, the strength. I mean, my community group, there was there was laughter, tears. Um, I remember a couple of times we had to help with another Christ follower in need. I've never experienced that. You know, it was more just me and my prayer time with the Lord and, but that definitely, all of that brought me closer to the Lord. I uh, do it, like I said, do it be a, you put it in action. Don't consume, co-work, be a co-worker, and uh, don't be a hearer. I mean, it's good to hear and listen, obviously, but but put it in that action and do it. I, join a group without hesitation. It'll, it can be life-changing, and it really changed my life, I know for sure, uh, f- for the rest of my life. So I would say join a group,
0: for sure. Could a Crossroads group or class change your life for sure? You know, this fall semester, we're, we're launching right now, this month, we're launching our community semester. We have 65 groups available for people to get into, all the way from little children on Wednesday nights, all the way through adults. And, and you know, for you, maybe your next step is to get into a community group. Or, um, you know, maybe you're not ready quite yet to walk into a stranger's home um, but you would like to get into a group, maybe you take one of our Wednesday night topical classes or, or maybe you consider our growth track that is brand new this semester. It's a, it's a five-track or five-step like discipleship plan to help you develop spiritual connections and spiritual rhythms and spiritual service and teachings and leadership. Maybe it's, you know, I don't know, maybe some of you at home are not quite ready to be in a crowd of people yet and you want to be in an online group We've got online groups that are available as well that meet throughout the week. We even have, for the first time ever, I'm super excited about this, we have our very first, because of technology, our very first international Bible study this year. Um, Our pastor in Nepal, Pastor Joe Mesh, is going to be leading an international Bible study in the book of James, so I'm super excited that we're kind of blazing new trails, and so I say all that because there's really something for everyone, and if the only thing you do when you walk out of this place is grab one of those catalogs in the Lobby and just pray over it and ask God to show you where He would want you to, to get involved. That might be your only next step, but it could mean all the difference in the world, just like it did for Josh when he put his yes on the table. Man, what could God do in you and through you if you said yes? The believers were um committed, they were devoted to community. The third observation is that believers were devoted to God's presence. Uh, moving on a little bit further in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the the fellowship and the breaking of bread. These guys were they were devoted to the breaking of bread. These Christians, we love this portion of the passage because it just means we get to eat more food. You know, we get to eat a lot of food, and I don't know about you, but I don't need any excuses to put more food—that's certainly food that's unhealthy—into my body. I've made an observation in ten months. Maybe you already knew this, but this was news to me when I moved back to Ohio. This area of Ohio might just be the donut mecca of the world. (laughs) I mean, I kind of blame Pastor Jesse Ryder for this, because when I first moved here, if you remember, he talked about how he's a connoisseur of donuts. And when people talk about donuts, it gets me thinking about donuts, and then I want to eat donuts. And so I start researching all of these different donut places all around like This area, I found that Der Dutchman has good donuts, and Eight Sisters has good donuts and Buckeye Bakery has good donuts and over in Ashland, Hawkins Bakery has good donuts and in Hayesville Brood has good donuts and in Lexington, Apple Hill Orchard has good donuts and uh, the Blueberry Patch has good donuts and I just was introduced by Pastor Jesse once again that there's a place in Galleon that I have not had yet that has amazing donuts and so I have about 10 pounds on my waistline that is attributed to him and his influence and so we Christians, we love We love to eat food. In my home church growing up, we had a little motto. We believed in the three F words, Um, food, fellowship, and fun. And if there wasn't food, we probably weren't having fellowship and we certainly weren't having fun. Okay, so Christians love to talk about eating, they love potlucks, they love getting together over a meal, and we should, and there's nothing wrong with those things, but that's not quite what Scripture was telling us in this passage. What we're learning from this passage is that these people were devoted, they were devoted to observing the Lord's Supper, to remembering the body that was broken, and the blood of Christ that was spilled for our sins, And we know that God is always present when we come together and and we gather together where two or more are together in his name. We know that he is present with us. But 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that he is kind of present in a unique and unusually powerful way when when the Lord's people get together and they observe communion. And when these believers, when they met and observed the Lord's Supper, they expected to be ushered into God's presence. And we were given Two separate ordinances as a church or two directives from our Savior. He told us that these are the things that we are to do on a regular basis. We are to baptize believers and we are to observe the Lord's Supper. And every time we eat the bread and every time we drink of the cup and every time we dunk someone in the water, we are proclaiming a risen Christ. And to be a church means that we practice these things and we remember Christ when we do. It means we anticipate meeting with God every time we come together. So here's my question to you this morning. When you come to church, to what level do you anticipate hearing from God? What if we were a people who looked forward to Sunday, not just because it's another, like, Uh, appointment to check off on our calendar not because it's just a part of our routine not just because it's what we've always done but because we were devoted to his presence and we needed his presence in our lives and we were desperate for his word and we desperately needed spiritual community what if we showed up already prayed up already ready to receive God's word and expected the presence of God in this place how would it change us These believers were devoted to his presence. And they were also devoted, number four, the believers were devoted to prayer. Verse 42, as we move on, and they were devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Their dependence was on God all of the time. And they instinctually knew they needed his guidance. They felt the weight of the gospel call. They knew that it was going to separate them, that it was going to have heavy consequences in their lives just proclaiming the name of Jesus and going a different way and breaking off of Judaism. And they knew that they couldn't do it on their own. So they simply waited. They waited and they prayed for 10 days. From the ascension of Jesus all the way to Pentecost, that's all they did. They embraced the in-between they, they, they waited for this promised Holy Spirit that Jesus said was going to come, and they simply prayed. Hearing from God was their only chance for success. They didn't know what else to do, so they hit their knees in, they hit their knees in prayer. Let me ask you, when was the last time you were so driven to your knees in prayer because you had no course of action? When was the last time You fell on your knees before God because you had absolutely no way to affect the outcome. You needed God to move in your life, and you needed to hear from him. You had no next step, no course of action. You know, the fact is is that we don't live in those in-between spaces very well, do we? As Westerners, as as Americans, we we fill our empty spaces with stuff, and we call it productivity, and we call it accomplishment. And that's what comes natural to us. But we need to be a people of prayer. You know, Paul Miller, I I read a book called A Praying Life, written by Paul Miller. He said this, and I want to put this quote up on the screen because it's a little lengthy, and I want you to be able to see it as you hear it as well. He said this, The American culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. We are so busy that when we slow down to pray, we find it uncomfortable. We prize accomplishments and production, But prayer is nothing but talking to God. It feels useless as if we are wasting time. While we pray, every bone in our body screams, get to work. You know, here's the truth. Prayer will be the most productive and least passive thing you will do today. Think about that for a moment. As you slow down, and you talk with the Lord and you listen, it will be the most productive part of your day and the least passive thing that you can do, even though sometimes it feels like we're just stepping back and doing absolutely nothing about our problems and our situations. When we feel the weight and the urgency of what God has called us to do as a church, and we realize that we can't do it on our own, that's when we're going to become a church That's when we're going to become a people that is more devoted to prayer. So so let me ask another question. If prayer is the barometer, how big or little are you living life? Because sometimes when we lack prayer, it, it tells us that either A, we're doing life on our own and in our own strength, or we're doing life, living life too little. So based on your prayer life, how big or little are you living? You know, there was 120 people in that upper room and they were fiercely devoted to prayer and look what became of it. They turned the world upside down and nothing stopped them from it. For the church in Acts, man, prayer became as natural to them as breathing. It was simply a natural expression of the overflow of their hearts. They did these four things. They were devoted to to God's word and to God's people and to God's presence. And they were devoted to talking with God. And I love what verse 47 shares with us. It's the result of these devotions, these magnificent obsessions, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved every single day. They met daily, they cared daily, they won souls daily, they searched the scriptures daily, and they increased in numbers daily, not just on Christmas and Easter, not just at baptism services, not just on those Sundays where the preacher delivers the salvation message and there's an altar call or a heavy response time, every single day, These people were doing these things and devoted to these things and they turned the world upside down. Could this happen again? Could this happen in Mansfield, Ohio? Absolutely. But it's going to take a move of the Holy Spirit. It's going to take a community of people just like you that are devoted to these things. And I want to encourage you to take that next step. Maybe it's Starting a habit of reading God's word on a regular basis, developing an appetite for it. Maybe it's as you walk out of this place, you grab a catalog and sign up for a community group or a connect group or a class. Maybe it's just slowing down to sense the presence of God and maybe it's just man, communing with God more through prayer and talking with him and listening to him. If we will do these four things, Crossroads Church, we will become a movement that the gates of hell cannot stand against. That's what I want this church to become. That's what I dream about. And I pray that you do as well. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, the example of of this church in Acts chapter two, I'm reminded as I I speak about them and I think about them, they were just normal people. They were just normal people like us, but they had an encounter with Christ and that encounter was so real and it pierced them so strongly that they couldn't contain it. And God, you, you literally have changed the world because of 120 people. Father, I want that to be said of Crossroads, in whatever way you see fit, I pray that you would use us to transform our world. Help us to be a church of impact. In Jesus' name, amen.